through bite-sized epic reworks of Edward Grieg, George Friedrich Handel, Richard Wagner, and many more, the Ostrogothic Fantasy Orchestra has released a new album, Watch the Vatican, which is available now. Watch the Vatican includes 13 drummed-up tracks and will introduce the world of classical music to both young and old. Music is a great way to awaken sleeping souls and raise anyone's vibration to the next level. So head over to gothokestra.com to listen now. If you like what you hear, consider purchasing a digital copy of the album on Bandcamp. That's gothokestra.com. G-O-T-H-O-C-H-E-S-T-R-A dot com. And keep in mind, the monogram of the nine is with us all the way. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, I want to welcome back to the show, Billy Carson. Billy is the founder of Forbidden Knowledge, Inc., best-selling author, host of Gaia's Deep Space, co-founder of the United Family of Anomaly Hunters, and CEO of First Class Space Agency. Billy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me back on. Thanks so much for taking the time to come back on. I know you're so busy. You got so much going on. And, you know, you were actually one of the first researchers that got me really looking into our real history, uh, the potential of human consciousness, and, of course, you know, links to ancient aliens and how there's so much more behind what we're taught in school uh, our history books, basically everything that we come up knowing is not the way that it's portrayed. It's not what is reality. So tell us what got you started down your path? What kind of opened your eyes to everything? Uh, well, you know, back in uh, 1977, believe it or not, I'm aging myself here now. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was in, we moved from um, New York, uh, Queens, New York, all the way to um, Block, Florida. And uh, we moved right next to this, uh, this airport called the uh, this Oplaka Airport. Uh, it's a very small private airport, but I would just go outside in the backyard and watch the planes go over. Nothing else really do in a, in a hot summer uh, except for looking up at the sky and, and, and watching ants and build ant mounds. Um, but one day I was out in the back and I saw this object come over and it wasn't an airplane. And even as a little kid, I knew that what I was looking at was, uh, was not an airplane. It didn't have a tail, fuselage, a cockpit. And the other interesting thing about it was that it cleared the horizon in seconds instead of minutes. Uh, because even from my perspective, I would look at the, uh, the planes to go over. I could tell, you know, that how, not how fast the plane was moving, but you can tell that the plane is moving uh, at a decent pace. But, but also you can tell that it takes a while to go from point A to point B across the horizon, not, not an instantaneous thing. Right. This object, it went across instantaneously, almost, uh, you know, less than just a few seconds. And I was, like, completely blown away. And uh, it came back, but it came back lower the first time. When it went across, it was just as high as the normal planes, and it came back and was about 200 meters above me. It hovered for a few seconds, and then it took off when it came in at a ridiculous rate of speed. And uh, I just knew immediately that what I saw was not... Um, you know, not a, uh, an airplane. And the word UFO didn't exist in my vocabulary yet. We're talking about back then, the cable, there was no cable TV, there was no cartoon network or nothing. There's no, no way for me to get an input of, uh, or input stream of uh, uh, different types of UFOs or alien type shows. It was just uh, four channels on TV and whatever you can, you wait for your few hours of TV on Saturday and Sunday and that was it. So I, I knew that what I saw wasn't a UFO. I mean, it was on an airplane, probably something otherworldly, I thought, or maybe under from underneath the water. So I went to school at Rainbow Park Elementary, which is right up the road, and uh, I went straight to the library, and I got all of the Encyclopedia Britannicas on aerospace. 
So I literally started researching that day. That was my first foray into researching into, uh, you know, the unknown and uh, into UFOs and everything else, trying to find what I saw. And I found nothing compared to what I saw in the, in the encyclopedias, which then led me to believe that I was looking at something from outer space. That's fascinating. And what got you started uh, looking into our hidden history? Well, much later, um, I became an amateur astronomer, and I was researching um, the precession of the equinoxes, the, the movement of the stars across the sky and all the constellations. And um, as I was researching them, I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Well, according to the calculations that I have here, the precession of the equinoxes is actually speeding up which to me was some type of major red flag. I kept going back and doing the numbers over and over again, researching and looking at other books. And then I came to the conclusion that the procession of the equinoxes was speeding up. And if it was speeding up, that can only mean one thing. Our sun is getting breakaway speed because it's orbiting something. And that really kind of had me a little horrified. So the more I dug into that, I found out that, uh, the space agencies already knew that there was a potential object out there that we were orbiting, and they call it Nemesis. They're trying to say, you know, we, we potentially could be living in a binary solar system. And I was like, well, why can't we see the second sun uh, if we're living in the binary? And since binaries are pretty much the norm, we would, I thought we'd be able to see something. But I scored, scoured through a lot of data and uh, images and and downloads from NASA and the European Space Agency. And finally, I came up with the conclusion that we're looking for a brown dwarf star. Uh, and um, so I got the Worldwide Telescope out, and I started researching, uh, looking into the science data for, the, for brown dwarfs on the two-mass infrared mode. And I came across a brown dwarf coming out of the constellation of Leo uh, that had little planets orbiting it. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I posted it on Instagram, this is years ago, and Facebook and everything. And I was like, this is a brown dwarf solar planet orbiting it, and we're orbiting that. So it was an amazing discovery. So how I got to ancient civilizations was, um, you know, I had an experience, um, uh, you know, kind of a weird experience at my house during the process of all this research. I came to the conclusion there might be a, a geological disaster because of this the, the gravity from orbiting another star and looking in history on uh, and just in the normal text, like the biblical text, you see these, um, these times where these geological disasters happen. Uh, and these, um, you know, it appears that there's a specific time frame for this, even the Sumerian tablets. But when I had this incident with these, um, this great aliens that literally, it's just weird. It came to my house. I mean, it was, uh, I was doing this big project called Fort Terranova because I decided that, I would build an underground shelter that could house a lot of people in case of a disaster. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but that was around the time. It was a very big project. And uh, I came home to look at uh, ESPN around 9 p.m., and they literally came in the house. And I didn't know at first because what happened was the room turned lavender. So I thought that my kids were probably playing a trick and my boys were playing a trick on me. So I looked over my left shoulder to see if they were up there, and uh, there was nobody there. And I turned back around, these two gray aliens were in, right in my face, within inches of my face. Uh, and then they, whatever they were doing, it started to cause my brain literally to shake in my skull. I mean, it was, it was actually painful. Wow. So did I started they, crying. did hmm? they look like your typical gray? Uh, how tall were they? They looked like the typical gray alien, just like you would see actually on TV. Uh, now, I was sitting in a chair on a couch. That was probably about uh, three feet off the ground plus my torso. So that I would estimate, you know, um, that they couldn't have been no more than four and a half feet tall. Um, I'm a pretty tall guy, maybe five feet at the most, uh, because I'm six foot four. But uh, that would be the height. And they were standing up, and I was sitting down, and they were right in my face. But, you know, so that would be the height. And then they had on these um, very weird, like, onesies, one-piece uh, type overalls or whatever you want to call them that were skin skin tight though it almost would look like skin but it wasn't skin it was actually some type of clothing the the eyes i couldn't tell if they were goggles or they were the actual eyes that were you know but either way there was a shape they were giant almond shaped and uh kind of pale the uh 
the, the, the ears uh, were just like holes and the nose were just dots or openings. And even though they kind of looked like it had a mouth, it looked like it couldn't even open. It looked like it was sealed with a kind of a partial slit going across. Um, and uh, I didn't hear anything, you know, in the audio range that a human can hear from them. I just knew that what whatever was happening, it was painful. And I actually screamed out, um, but there was no sound coming out. It was like it was muted or blocked in some kind of weird way. And then just as quick as it started, you know, it ended probably 30 seconds or so. And they turned around, and they kind of dangled uh, away. They don't really walk like a normal gait, like a human. They kind of just dangled away and then went through the wall. All the lights came back on. The TV came back. Everything went back to normal. And uh, I ran around the house, but nobody heard or saw anything. And then um, the thing that was left with me, though, I think possibly from them, was this word or this phrase, Worldwide Telescope which kept ringing in my mind thousands and thousands of times. So I finally went to a computer to type it in. I went to Excite.com, which was at that time, you know, competing, competing for space with Google search. And uh, the first search result that popped up was WorldWideTelescope.org. And I literally almost fell out of my chair. I went to the website. I clicked on the button. It was software that you can actually install in your computer. So I downloaded the software. Uh, I installed it. And it, so when you open it up, it takes you into a sky mode. It lets you see all the constellations. Uh, you can then uh, also look at panoramas that were coming from space probe data. So I looked into panoramas. And the first one I saw was uh, uh, the Mars panoramas. I went in there and I saw rovers. And I saw opportunity was just one of the selections out of many. Uh, they had Spirit, they had uh, Mars Curiosity, and all that. So I went to uh, Opportunity, and I, I saw a panorama, and I clicked on it and zoomed in, and I saw anomalies right away. I mean, instantaneously, I saw things that didn't belong there. You know, you're starting to tell me this is another planet um, that doesn't have any life. Well, why, does it, why do I see dilapidated structures and what looks like to be statues and other broken things there? Uh, but some of the walls that you, I saw resembled walls of structures on Earth, megalithic structures. And that's when I started making a connection that what I'm seeing up there could be very ancient. So, and because it's ancient here, I started looking into ancient texts. So I started going into the Sumerian tablets, the Sumerian cylinder scrolls, uh, the uh, Emerald tablets, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas. Um, you know, Nagamati scripts, you know, and, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just going into all these different ancient texts and trying to see what was going on back then. And I started discovering that there was this huge epic of galactic wars, interplanetary wars uh, of the gods, uh, all of these uh, structures that were built by them in honor of them and so forth and so on. So that's how I got really into, into really digging deeper into ancient texts. And also it got me into also hunting space anomalies at the same time. Uh, so it's just been huge. It was a, whatever happened, it was a huge catalyst to get me to where I am right now. Wow. So do you think uh, these grays possibly uploaded or kind of implanted this idea into your head while, while they were doing this? I think so. At first, I was so confused on how can this happen and how can I get this phrase in my head to a point where I couldn't block it, I couldn't stop it. And then much later, I saw... Um, you know, a uh, episode from the Ancient Aliens where this gentleman, uh, I forget his name now, in Randallson Forest, had touched a UFO that then he was in the military at the time. And uh, when he touched it, he got these numbers burned into his head, zeros and ones. And when he wrote them down on a piece of paper, this is back in the 1980s, before, you know, personal computers and all this other stuff, he literally wrote down one zero and one at a time until he wrote down this whole notepad full of zeros and ones, which more recently at the time of the show was then turned over to, um, uh, you know, a, a, digi a person that can translate digitally what it meant. And they put all the zeros and ones into a little program and it turned out that it was a real message. So when I saw that, I was like, I know I'm not crazy now because this guy had the same thing happen to him mentally. He was burnt into his head with all these zeros and ones. And for me, it was World by Telescope. Wow, that's awesome. Now, when it comes to our hidden history, how far back does, I mean, I guess you could say this version of humanity go? Um, and were the first 
humanoids here, um, the Atlanteans and Lumerians, based on your research? Yeah, based on my research, the, um, the Atlanteans and Lumerians were, were here. Now, there was an existing hominid on this planet, uh, and also over in Australia, the Aborigines claim to have been seeded here by the uh, Pleiadians. That's their actual history. That's their verbal history, which they passed and handed down generation after generation. And the elders right now will still tell you this, that many hundreds of thousands of years ago, they were seeded here by the by Pleiadians. Um, you know, so that's really an amazing story. But from what I can tell, evidence-wise, instead of just verbal history, it appears that these uh, other civilizations were here, these advanced civilizations came here, and they were literally... Uh, mining this planet for resources uh and the hominid which was our cousin was already here before we were homo sapien sapien and this goes back uh over four hundred fifty thousand years and now they came here to mine this planet for resources and they started bringing their own people here and uh they actually did the mining and the hard work and the labor themselves without the use or aid of any human beings or hominids whatsoever then about two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, 200 to 250,000 years after they arrived, these EGG working class Anunnaki people that were working on Mars were getting kind of fed up with the uh, workload, no breaks, no vacations, no women. It was one of their biggest complaints that they had no women. They were, they were spending a lot of time on Mars. The conditions were very harsh. They would have to wear their eagles' masks, which were actually, actually their helmets uh, with the eagles' uh, logos and the insignia on it, which today, uh, when we look at old depictions of the Anunnaki, we see some sometimes with regular faces like a human and a beard, and sometimes you see them with the with the eagle's head. That eagle's right. head is actually a, a mask that they were a helmet that they would put on for low oxygen situations. Uh, they even talked about using that uh, eagle's mask on on the moon as well. But uh, so they they mind. But what happened was they got very frustrated with the workload. They came to Earth. This is where you get the fallen angels from in the Old Testament. They came from Mars to Earth. They fell from Mars to Earth to take women as their wives. And also in the coup, they were threatening Enki and Enlil to go straight head on to war because of the conditions and situation. And that's what Enki says, uh, you know, I have an idea. There's an existing hominid basically on this planet. We can genetically modify it and make it to handle all the workload. So that was the thing that stopped the war. Um, Got everybody to calm down. These EGG people took women with them, took them as wives, and took them back to Mars, uh, some of them. And um, but they didn't began the genetic manipulation. Initially, they were doing clones of these hominids uh, to try to you know replicate them and get a, a, a army of workers to go. And uh, they were having a lot of difficulty uh, with the clones. Some of them were dying too fast. Different types of sicknesses, for whatever reason, couldn't communicate properly. And, they were also sterile. They couldn't reproduce in a normal way. Uh, so then what happens is uh, Enki's sister, or half-sister, uh, actually said, I'm going to uh, take the baby to term myself. When, when there's a famous cylinder scroll showing that she gave birth to the Adambo, when she, they took a, they created what they call now modern science, a zygote. So they took an egg out of an existing hominid, cleaned out some of the genetic material, and they inserted the, uh, through a laboratory, of course, inserted the Anunnaki material and DNA, and then inserted it into her womb, which she then took to full term, a full 10 months, was her number, and she gave birth to the Adamu, and uh, she says that her hands had made it, but she made basically the first man, because Adamu translates to the first man. And um, then from there, they took a, uh, some of his blood, and they cloned him a woman a female this is where the rib the you know taking a rib out they never took a rib out but they took some marrow and created a clone for him and then they were able to sexually re uh, replicate and that's kind of how we got to the the point of homo sapiens sapien so i haven't even weren't the first people on this planet but they were the first genetically modified successfully uh they were able to re reproduce and everything else at the uh outdoor dome-like structure which was called the garden of eden now, were some of these beings giants? Because um, we have the evidence of, you know, giant bones being, being found throughout our history. Yeah. When you look at uh, some of these skeletons and some of the bones and jaw bones, which I actually have uh, 
uh, one of the uh, replicas of one of these elongated skulls that were discovered. And you could put it right next to a human skull. I actually have a mountain directly next to a human skull in my, uh, my uh, artifact case. And the structure, the object is, is massive. And, and it's not from skull binding. Skull binding decreases the brain uh, capacity, the brain case capacity. These beings that were found, and now they've been found all over the planet with these humongous elongated skulls, have increased uh, brain capacity in their skull and cavity. And the, um, the thing that's interesting is they have one parietal plate when human beings have two parietal plates. So right away, you can identify the skull with one parietal plate elongated with more mass uh, capability of cavity for a much larger brain. You're looking at something that is not homo sapiens sapien. Uh, and the jawbone and the structure uh, is so massive and huge, once you uh, scale it all the way out, you're looking at a person that could be anywhere from 15 to 20 feet tall. That's how massive some of these uh, people were. It's just incredible. It is incredible. And when you're talking about uh, these cataclysms that occur throughout our history and basically, you know, wipe out almost everything and we have to start all over, a lot of our history gets lost. But I'm wondering if some of these cataclysms weren't ne um, necessarily natural. Um, you say there's, uh, you know, evidence of possible nuclear war on Mars. Do you think that it possibly happened on Earth in the past as well? Yeah, I think that the, um, due to the fact that there were these wars going on, which is why Mars was called the God of War, I think that there was another war that occurred when Amun-Ra took over and took his place as kingship. He actually fought to become a king earlier than his processional period allowed him to. He was supposed to wait until the um, uh, area or the uh, time of Pisces, and he decided to take it over a little early, and that caused a lot of wars and turmoil within the family members that were operating and, uh, and managing over humans and mining resources at different parts of the planet and also on different moons and planets in our solar system. And um, this war uh, is talked about actually in the modern-day Bible. You can find these wars. It's in the Mahabharata. You can find them. If you want to look even closer to our current time, they've been copied from ancient texts into the Bible, where in the book of Deuteronomy, where these people, uh, these Anunnaki people, uh, are actually sending, uh, masquerading as gods, and sending human beings out halfway around uh, you know, different regions of the, of the planet to go fight wars against people that they've never met before. And it even says, to, to, this is how you know it's not the creator of the universe telling them this. When you get there, you have to uh, break down the walls or get through the doors by tricking them into opening the doors. And when you get inside, kill everybody, kill the, kill the women, kill the children. Uh, you can rape the women if you want to. If you rape a woman, you have a choice. You can kill her or you can keep her as your wife. Uh, you can abduct them and bring them back. This is all in the modern-day Bible. And uh, this is supposedly, quote-unquote, one of the God, uh, God speaking. Now, in the, in the modern-day Bible, the word God, ironically, is translated wrong. It's God's plural instead of God's singular. So they put God singular uh, to give you uh, a monotheistic view of, uh, and, you know, give you the idea that there's only one uh, God in the entire Bible when, this is why the Bible has many names for God, you know, Yahweh and all the other names are all naming different Anunnaki people that had these alternative names in the Bible. And this one particular one that was causing the hurt trauma was Amun-Ra, which is why everybody says amen. They say amen to him. He ordered that everyone say amen to him to give thanks for anything that they received or ate or whatever. He's one of the most brutal rulers of all time. So we, you give thanks to evil when you say amen. But but these people were fighting each other using human beings as cattle, just like they do today. So you'll see uh, today you'll, um, you'll go to high school and they'll tell you in school about the great army. And uh, if you join the army, we'll pay for your college. So they recruit you out of high school and then they send you halfway around the world to go to around to see people you never met, don't know anything about, to blow them up with a multi-million dollar weapon. And you do all of this in return for exchange for getting promised that you'll get to go to college for free. So when you kill somebody in a $5 tent and riding a camel so that you can get a free education, they're still doing the same trick. The same thing is going on this very moment. 
on this planet. It's not even, uh, you know, uh, not anything new. It's just an ancient technique that they use to manipulate and control people. Yes, definitely. I agree. And I, I want to get into a little bit of that later as well. Now, um, these, these beings, um, what star system were they originally from? That's a very good question. Now, when you read the Enumulation, the Seven Types of Creation, and the Epic of Atraasis, which is where Zachariah Sitchin got his content for his books, a lot of people thought that Zachariah Sitchin was up here translating Sumerian tablets. And they even made videos about it on YouTube. Never happened. He always said in the beginning of his books where he got his information, all his sources are listed there. He never translated any tablets. He went into tablets that were translated long before he was even born. Uh, but uh, So these tablets are on display at the Cambridge University in England and everything else. But uh, when you look at them, depending on your interpretation, they could be from the Pleiadian star cluster, the Orion star system, Sirius star system, and also uh, a rogue planet that was captured by our solar system that uh, basically orbits a brown dwarf star, which scientists have now found. Astronomers have really actually found it and labeled it Planet Nine. Uh, it, it's, it's possible that they, they've come here multiple times from all those different regions of space, which could be why the Great Pyramid is aligned with Orion and, 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 and Sirius and, and the Pleiades. Uh, or, and it could be that uh, they did come from this Nibiru planet that orbits the uh, brown dwarf, which by the way, ironically, Nibiru is mentioned in the Enuma Elish and the Seven Types of Creation. A uh, much later version of, the, of that epic the name Nibiru was changed to the name Marduk, who's who? Amen Ra. And Marduk is in the modern day Bible. He's in the Jewish American Library. He's in, uh, he's in the Torah. Uh, these Marduk character, and all these people are mentioned. There's just nobody ever really paid attention to it in more of the modern day religious text. You go back into the ancient text, of course, they're all there. And um, I believe that, uh, uh, that that's what happened. So they're from multiple star systems, or maybe even just one planet that orbits another star. I'm kind of tending and leaning towards multiple because when you look at the Dogon tribe, they have, they have a, a verbal history uh, of, of these Anunnaki people coming from the Sirius star system, from Sirius B specifically, which is a failed star. They even know that it's a failed star, and they don't even know how much the gravitational mass weighs. Yeah, you know, and these Nomo Anunnaki came here and taught them this. And then you see the alignment with, with Orion, uh, with the Great Pyramid and many other structures around the world, which leads me to believe that people have been visited from there. So, and, and then there's a lot of artifacts that I, that I have, even of myself in my own house, that depict uh, the Pleiadian star cluster on the artifact. So it could be, in my opinion, that they may be from all these star systems and spread out across the, the sector of the galaxy after a galactic war that originated, from what I can tell now, in, in the Pleiadian star cluster with the Lyrians and the Syrians. And uh, the refugees uh, then, because of the debris in that area, started spreading out. And I believe that one, uh, one uh, leg of these refugees crash-landed on, on the Bureau and eventually made it their home. Do you want to learn how to remote view? Now is your chance. The International Remote Viewing Association is offering eight weeks of remote viewing classes instructed by my friend Michelle Freed. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity starting Saturday, September 3rd, 10 a.m. Pacific. The course is only $150, and for members of the IRVA, it's only $110. Just visit irva.org slash events slash registration to sign up now. Now, when it comes to the Sumerian texts, um, I find that Enki is the more compassionate one. Is this something that you found in your research? Yep, absolutely. Uh, based on the Sumerian tablets, uh, and the uh, specific tablet or tablets are the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation. You discover that Enki was the character that was responsible for doing the genetic modification on humans, or, the, or hominids, I would say, to create what we call the modern human or the modern Homo sapiens sapien. Uh, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. It was also the fact that uh, he added a little bit extra of the DNA, uh, which enraged his brother Enlil. When you look into some of the texts from around the world, 
uh, from many different civilizations, they're talking about this Garden of Eden, which really was in the location of Mesopotamia, which leads you right back to the Iraq area, that region uh, where the original Garden of Eden was. And there's where uh, in the biblical story, version of the story, you have uh, the serpent, you have God, and you also have the serpent, the serpent that comes to talk to, uh, to Eve to get her to uh, trick Adam into eating the fruit. And then Adam comes over and he eats the fruit. But the fruit is a representation of knowledge and wisdom. So the Enki, who was portrayed as the serpent character, talking snake, was really uh, an archetype for a person that was basically giving them knowledge and wisdom and taking them to a higher level of consciousness, which then when they realized what was really going on and that they were slaves and that they had been put there purposefully and they were really sentient beings, um, they were the most, uh, I guess, uh, genetically advanced humans at the time, but they weren't the first. Uh, and uh, so Enki, uh, you know, he was considered the snake and his brother and who came back to check on the experiment at the Garden of Eden, uh, noticed that they were clothed and that they had received a higher level of consciousness. And right away, he knew that his brother had interacted with these um, with these beings and, and uh, had, had woken them up, so to speak. <laughs> he got enraged and he got pissed off and he kicked them out of the garden. And uh, and one of the things that uh, is ironic is if you read the, the Book of Adam, which is an apocrypha text that was kept out of the Bible by the Council of Nicaea and King James, uh, right away you see where um, Adam is in a sea with his, uh, with his wife, Eve, and he literally is trying to commit suicide because he's so distraught that he had been kicked out of the, the garden into this wilderness. He tried to kill himself and, and Enki had to send uh, some guards to actually go secure him and save him from killing himself, committing suicide. So the empathy was evidenced there. But then later on, uh, Enki actually took on a human wife and, uh, and he was banned from going back to his home planet because of this. You know, so he had the empathy for humans, and Enlil was a, a bloody, murdering, killing ruler that killed humans when he felt like it, drowned them. He would, uh, he would uh, also create droughts over their crops when there was too many of them replicating too fast. Just all kind of crazy stuff. He tortured them. He was just an evil ruler, and Enki was the one. And that's why him and his brother were at odds all the time. His brother was so disgusted with Enki that he told everyone that Enki was an evil serpent and not to worship him as a god. And um, he made the you know, history change around to say that Enki was the evil one, but it truly was him. Now, earlier you had mentioned um, the, pyri uh, the pyramids and how they align with Orion. Um, mm -hmm. Would you agree that it is some sort of a um, possibly power, a source of power? Yeah, absolutely. The Great Pyramid itself is uh, definitely, without a doubt to me, a, um, a, a multifunctional stone computer. And uh, it's an object that literally has um, all the information of the planet Earth encoded into it. It's like uh, the creator who was thought the Atlantean is the actual one that built this. I cover this in my book. Uh, he's the one who built or claims to have built the Great Pyramid right after the Great Flood which was 36,000 years ago. <clears throat> and um, it, he took all the information like a CAD designer for, you know, for building structures, houses, even machinery, took all the information about the planet Earth itself and our solar system and encoded it into the building structure of the blocks. Uh, so when you look at the Great Pyramid, uh, you can see some specific things before we even get into the, the power generating part of it. You can see that the size and the shape of the blocks and the way their structure is built on the planet, you can multiply. Uh, there's a lot of calculations that you can do with the, uh, with the pyramid blocks where you can calculate them and multiply them by 10 squared, and you come up with a lot of crazy numbers. You can calculate the distance from the Earth to the moon, the distance from the Earth to the sun. You can calculate the speed of the Earth around the sun, and you can also calculate the speed of the sun around the galactic equator in the Milky Way. Uh, and another incredible thing is uh, when you when you actually uh, look at the pyramid the way it was built, it's built over an aquifer. Well, now it's dried up aquifer, but they used to be built right over an aquifer as the Nile River was a lot closer to the pyramid area in ancient times than it is right now. 
uh, and that aquifer, uh, the chamber beneath, above it, uh, of the Great Pyramid, appears to have allowed it to collect physiostatic electricity. And then it would resonate up into the Queen's Chamber, and then get sent up the, um, the Grand Gallery and into the King's Chamber, which right, where not right now there's an actual, and I've been in there, there's a stone box there, which mainstream uh, uh, archaeologists are trying to say that it's, uh, it was a, um, a, a coffin or, or sarcophagus, but it wasn't. It's not even large enough to be a sarcophagus, number one. Number two, it's, very, it's, it's too small. The walls are too thin, but it's ironically the same exact dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant, which was known to be, according to biblical uh, writings, a very technological device that had the capability of sending out lightning bolts and electricity. And, and if you had, didn't, have, didn't have one of the right gear and equipment, it will kill you. So I believe that one of the Ark of the Covenants, because there were three in ancient times that I know of, uh, I believe that one of the Ark of the Covenants sat inside that stone box to complete the last technological part of the Great Pyramid to allow it to generate electricity and send it up through the apex right above. Uh, so what happened was I believe that uh, um, Akhenaten, uh, who actually is this Moses figure in the modern-day Bible, took the Ark of the Covenant with him, and this is why the Pharaoh changed his mind and had him chased down. It wasn't because he had a change of heart like the Bible says. It was because he stole the technological device that helped the pyramid to work it was like the key piece in the pyramid and without it they would have no electricity so the great pyramid was transmitting wireless electricity way back then and the obelisks that were around the region would catch their, their magnetic granite would catch on to this frequency and pass it along kind of like a wireless uh uh you know uh, in, uh antenna system and allow people to use these jet pillar devices that were connected to different types of wireless light bulbs and other technology and have it powered without any cords. And the evidence of this is in the Temple of Dendera, and there's an underground crypt there where I paid the security guard a few extra bucks to go down, and I took some great photos down there. You can see in the hieroglyphs, people holding wireless technology and also then wireless light bulbs and so forth etched into this uh, magnetic granite wall underneath the Temple of Dendera. Incredible stuff. Wow, that is fascinating. Now, any ideas on how they actually constructed uh, megaliths such as the Great Pyramid, um, how they moved these blocks, how they cut them, um, any theories? Yeah, they definitely used anti-gravity. Even uh, being that they were very big people, I don't think there were enough for them to move a million blocks of stone into place in just a matter of a few months. Thoth talks about um, building the Great Pyramid, and, but he also talks about using frequencies, cymatic frequencies, and light to create matter. Now, when you look at uh, some more recent studies that, that were found, some more recent scientific studies that have actually been accomplished, which I talk about in my book, uh, they actually have now, for the very first time, utilized frequencies and photons to create physical matter in the third dimension. Real peer-reviewed science in scientific journals. <clears throat> so what both talks about doing 36,000 years ago, we just figured it out last year. Again, to me, adding more credence to the fact that the ancient texts uh, are really scientific uh, documents. And uh, I believe that he utilized uh, those techniques to create uh, a lot of the, the, um, the blocks needed to, to build the Great Pyramid. I don't think that they were mined anywhere or cut out of any side of a mountain hundreds of, years, hundreds of uh, miles away. I think that some of the obelisks and some of the parts of the structure were, but to get that many blocks, I really do believe that he manifested them through this cymatic frequency uh, photonic technology, uh, which we just now rediscovered. And uh, also, I believe that they utilized the cymatic frequencies to create anti-gravity in those blocks to get them moved into position. <clears throat> and what leads me to believe that is there's a famous Sumerian cylinder seal, uh, which is actually on display at the... Uh, uh, either at the Oxford Museum or the Ashmolean Museum at Oxford, England is where it is, yeah. So this cylinder seal has an Anunnaki god there sitting on top of this box. You tell he's the Anunnaki god because he's three times larger than the human beings when he's even sitting down. The human beings are right in front of him, three of them. One guy is holding a stone table. He's lifting it with one hand. And directly above the stone table, there's this image that looks like it's a disc. 
with these lines on it. Well, that the disc is actually representing a frequency, and those lines are the exact same frequency that we're able to recreate on a somatic plate right now in modern times. And that frequency um, definitely creates a specific pattern, which um, with a, when you insert a magnetic field and, and electricity, you get anti-gravity. So this Anunnaki God is teaching these humans about anti-gravity and how to make stones weightless. And this is a famous seal that's uh, been available to the general public for you know hundreds of years now, and it's really teaching anti-gravity to humans. So I believe that's the same exact technique that they use to build a lot of these megalithic structures all over the planet. Uh, that, and also it appears that they have some type of way of making liquid rock or liquefying rock. And uh, this, uh, I find this out from going to Peru and from going to Cambodia. In Peru, a lot of the megalithic walls uh, don't have any mortar, and, but the stones appear to be completely sealed together uh, even though they're in, in, uh, even though there's no no mortar in between, it just kind of look molded into that position. <clears throat> and I think that, that this has something to do with the fact that uh, they had the, the ability to to liquefy these rocks and put them into molds and put them into positions, which made them look like they had these incredible, impossible cuts and corners when they were just molded that way. I think. And if you look at Angkor Wat, when I was there, the history of the place by the locals is that. The Angkor Wat temple itself, the main temple, was poured into place in a day and a night. And uh, when you look at the rock, you can kind of clearly see what they're talking about. It almost looks like if it was poured in a mold and then, you know, and then it's allowed to cure. Now, it sounds impossible, but if you have the technology to put down a laser lattice, so to speak, and you load it and filled it with uh, this um, liquid uh, rock, which would be cement or concrete, and let it cure, you can build something like that in a very rapid time. In modern times right now, we have these poured concrete houses. They do them in Florida along the panhandle. Or there's a name of, there's a builder who does this. I forgot the exact name of the builder, but um, you can look it up very easily. And what they do is they create a mold and they pour the, the solid concrete or the liquid concrete and it becomes solid and it cures in a day. And then all they have to do is drop on the roof on the house. They can build a house in a week, week and a half, instead of building a house in eight months. So this is something we're doing right now. So it's just a credible correlation between modern times and ancient times. Yeah, it's amazing all the advanced technology that we've lost or that's been hidden from us uh, mm -hmm. throughout history. And when you talk about this stuff being hidden from us, let's for fast forward to, to modern times. Um, these elites that are in control right now, do you mm -hmm. believe that they are actually the same bloodlines that have always been in control? Absolutely. Not one doubt in my mind. It's the same exact people and bloodlines running and controlling this planet uh, since that time. Now, I believe that human beings are our cousins, our hom hominid cousins, whoever they were, uh, their exact name, I'm not sure, but they were more technologically advanced than us in a super deep antiquity, super, super ancient past. And then they had a civilization that rose and fall, fell. And these Anunnaki Atlanteans came here during the time that we fell and took advantage of that um, when we kind of became cavemen all over again, so to speak. Or you know, But, but th those people were still smarter than us spiritually. They had larger brains, bigger pineal glands, stronger bodies. And they, I believe that all their DNA was connected. Now we have disconnected junk DNA and our brains are smaller and so forth and so on through the genetic modifications. But um, but uh, getting back to the question, what was the question again? Well, I was uh, asking if these same bloodlines are... Oh, yeah, the bloodlines, right, yeah. So, so basically what happened was these, um, the bloodline of these people that did all this stuff to us and came to this planet, uh, if you go to the um, Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England, there's a big display there with this gigantic tablet that has the listing of these kings and rulers over the planet before the Great Flood, and it's called the Sumerian Kings List. So on the Sumerian Kings List, these kings ruled over this planet, and it wasn't even a lot of them. They ruled for over 200,000 years. There was only a few kings. I mean, they were like ruling for 14,800 years, 28,400, ridiculous numbers that one person, were just that was just the, time, just the time that they were king. It doesn't even include their lifespan. You see these incredible numbers here, and it's showing you that these beings lived for a very, very long time. Well, after the Great Flood, 
what they did was they moved home base to the land of Cam, which is what I talk about in my book. And the land of Cam is ancient Egypt, before they called it Egypt. Egypt, the term or the name Egypt is a fairly recent name that was issued and given out by the Greeks. But uh, so they moved their home base to the land of Cam. And, uh, and then they decided at that point that once they built, re reinstalled civilization to a higher level, that there will be a go between between them and the humans so they can, it's like getting a personal assistant. You know, you hire a personal assistant to be your liaison or whatever so you can reduce your own workload and keep yourself organized. So what they did was they made it with a human and they would create a uh, half human, half Anunnaki, which is what we call now in mythology a demigod. So this half human Anunnaki, half human, half Anunnaki would become what we call a pharaoh king. And this pharaoh king would have the capability of communicating directly with the Anunnaki and relaying the messages and so forth and keeping the people on track to what the wishes of the gods were. And that's how originally how the early pharaohs were. The early pharaohs were actually uh, not known as pharaohs. They were just known as kings. The word pharaoh came much later. And there's a little bit of trick to that word as well. But these, so that bloodline was established, this half demigod bloodline. And this is why there was always a lot of inbreeding with the, with the Egyptians and so forth, trying to keep that bloodline solid, even though it would cause uh, genetic, uh, uh, genetic uh, issues and problems and so forth. Even some, in some cases, death and disease. They didn't care. They had to maintain that bloodline at any cost. Now, after the, um, the Egyptians, or the land of Egypt or Cairo, was, it was uh, basically, uh, defeated several times over dynastic, era, dynastic periods uh, by many different uh, people. The Syrians came over there and got them. The Greeks came over and got them. I mean, just many people came over and took over that place. In the end, it ended up being Alexander the Great who uh, deposed the last pharaoh, the last known pharaoh, who was actually having, having a very brutal rule over the Egyptians. And when, when Alexander the Great took over, it was actually a relief uh, by the people. They were so elated that they named him Pharaoh. But, but the bloodline uh, of even Alexander the Great, believe it or not, ties into Amun-Ra. He was Amun-Ra's son. So he was half human, half Anunnaki as well. Amun-Ra was the person who started the last pyramid war and, and escaped. But when he, before he escaped, he left the kingship of the, uh, the globe or the planet itself and the financial, finances and resources to his rock calm. Rakam translates into uh, the word "kam" translates into offspring, offspring of, but it translates into shield. So raw shield was uh, handed down the information, the finances, and control over this planet five thousand, six thousand years ago, uh, and they still run and control everything on this planet till this very day, including the elections in America. It's all controlled by the raw shield. They tell the electoral college who to put in the ballot. Uh, they control and run all of that. All the presidents of the United States except for Van Buren, who still was related to a uh, royal bloodline, um, are led to John Lackton, the king of uh, England, former king of England, I should say, who signed the Magna Carta. And that's the Plaginet bloodline. And that Plaginet bloodline can be traced back through a migration of the pharaohs across into Europe from Egypt. You can trace them back to the Arabian kings, and you can trace them back to the Pharaonic or the Egyptian kings. And you can trace, trace them all the way back to the Sumerian Kings list in the Australian Museum in Oxford, England. So even Donald Trump, uh, George Bush, Obama, through his mother's bloodline, Stanley and Dunham, uh, who's a, a Caucasian woman, uh, you know, all the way back, Jimmy Carter, you go all the way back, doesn't matter. Even JFK is in this bloodline. They're all in the bloodline. They're all directly related to this John Lackman, uh, and they're all cousins of each other. There's videos on my YouTube channel where I talk about the fact that, or I show a video of Obama and some of these other guys talking about the fact that, yeah, they're all cousins and relatives. Even Dick Cheney is a cousin of Obama. Obama actually openly says in one of the videos, he put him in charge of, uh, in charge of uh, military, in charge of the, uh, the, uh, the weapons and so forth. So, I mean, they're all related. Even Clinton, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton have already now been found to, become, uh, to be actual cousins. So they're married cousins. It's just keep it in the family thing. And people always say, well, how can you track who's the next president going to be? Just find out who's in the bloodline, and that's who it's going to be. It's not going to be anybody not in the bloodline. Uh, Donald Trump, there's a, a Newsweek article about that online, and uh, uh, I think it's even New York Times, that the fact that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, the geneticists, I mean, the genealogy people have done the research, they're cousins. I mean, so 
it's the one big family affair. Wow, man. Yeah. Um, I myself agree with you 100% on the president thing. I believe they mm -hmm. have all been puppets. Um, yep. They, there's there's always someone else behind the scenes pulling the strings and mm -hmm. you know modern day one of the biggest weapons that I see them using is the media social media um, mm -hmm. it's, it's the biggest tool to help dumb us down especially the youth um, mm -hmm. they want to keep our consciousness suppressed they are terrified of the potential of human consciousness so that's why mm -hmm. they bombard us with everything that they spray in the air the food the water all the crap that they have on TV and social media it's mm -hmm. I believe because they're terrified of what we really are oh yeah absolutely there's no doubt about that this is why they destroyed the Tower of Babel so if you go back to the Tower of Babel incident in the modern-day Bible, but the full story is also in the Sumerian tablets, uh, the human beings had come together on one accord, working together in peace and tranquility, building this tower. Now, this tower, according to how you interpret it, could have been a space tower. It could have been a cargo cult replica of something that they saw the Anunnaki build. Or, you know, or it could have been just a tower that they were trying to build themselves uh, to get into heaven, which is outer space. And, and then what happens is this Enlil character, who's known as Enlil in the Sumerian tablets, but in the modern-day Bible, he's known as Yahweh. And you can find this out by the book of Yahweh and so forth and, uh, and everything else. It's really easy to, to make the correlation. But he comes back from wherever they go. They always disappear for, for years at a time and come back wherever they go. Who knows? But he comes back and sees this tower being built, and it upsets him. Because right away, he realized, he actually openly says it, that wherever they set their minds to, they will achieve it. And that really disturbed them because he realized, that first of all, they were outnumbered by humans. And if they can get to us the same level consciously and technologically as the Anunnaki, well, hell, they'll just overthrow them at some point. Uh, so he instantly destroys the tower. And uh, then he takes the people and he says, my seed shall not abide in man forever. His year shall be 120. And what did we just find out in modern science just recently? We discovered that under the most pristine conditions, the most years that the human being could live is 120 years. And they also discovered that why is because chromosome number two was taken out and fused together about 200,000 years ago, just around the time that these tablets were written, ironically. And, uh, and these telomere caps were put on the end, which these telomere caps have genetic buff material so that when your DNA and cells replicate, you don't lose anything in translation. But what happens is this, this buff material runs out. And as it runs out, your body begins a death process. Uh, so this is what, how they ended our lives. They reduced our lifespans, basically, back then. We were used to live for thousands of years before that happened. And they, they basically shortened us. He shortened us to keep us dying young. And we can't live long enough. We can't be smart, become smart enough to uh, figure this all out. And that's exactly what they did. And now, how do they keep it going? Like you said, GMOs, uh, chemtrails, that negative programming on TV, keeping the mind down, keeping the news on and the media to keep us in fear. Fear creates a low-frequency vibration, scientifically proven, and that keeps you in a state of, um, of fear and also in flight. So now you, all the thing you can do is focus on trying to survive. You can't focus on the real problem. And then they split up our, the people around the planet, change the languages. So now we can't talk to our brother and our sister. Uh, you know, it's just, a, you know, people think that this is a creator of the universe in this Bible, but it's not. I mean, what kind of creator? It's all-knowing, all-loving creator God is going to come down and do, see people working together and destroy what they're working on, uh, banish them to other parts of the planet, change their language so they can't communicate with each other anymore, and then shorten their lifespans. That doesn't sound like a lot of love to me. It sounds like fear. Exactly. Yeah. And when it comes to nowadays with the social media um, and the internet censorship that we're seeing, they're making mm -hmm. it even more difficult for us to, um, to communicate with each other, to get out these truths. Um, I mean, do you see them completely shutting us down and us not having a voice here, uh, you know, on the internet, YouTube, whatever we're using uh, mm -hmm. within the next few years? Yeah, I think that uh, well, suppression is definitely there. I see it myself. I mean, my YouTube channel was demonetized about two years ago. 
so I don't make any money on YouTube anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, the Instagram, which was the biggest way to reach out has been uh, severely like shadow banned for conscious accounts. Like right now I'm back in another, a new shadow band that just started a couple of days ago. Posts that would get normally 80 to a hundred thousand views are only getting 15 to 20,000 views and Man. image posts that were getting 15 to 20,000 likes. I can only see about three or 400 likes, sometimes only 2000. So it's shadow band going on now again. Um, and, uh, so this is, but this is not just me. It's a lot of accounts seeing and feeling this and, um, this oppression is on Facebook as well has been, uh, very evident. It's, uh, my account was moving at such light speed on, on, uh, Facebook. I should have surpassed a million, uh, likes already on my forbidden knowledge Instagram, a uh, Facebook account. But when it got to 600,000, it slowed down so badly and over the last year and a half, it went from 600,000 to only 620,000. It should have been closer to two or three million by now at the speed that it was moving. So they're really putting a lot of suppression out there. But what I'm thinking is probably going to happen, uh, just in my opinion. I could be wrong, but I think uh, within the next five years, as we head into the age of Aquarius, because 2025 is the official start of the age of Aquarius. We haven't gotten there yet. We're still in Pisces. Uh, I think that we're going to have some conscious people in some key positions of power in some of these major corporations that are going to begin to help reverse some of the suppression of information and some of this crazy stuff that's going on. Because remember by then, all these people that are these younger people that we're talking to right now, even through this show, the younger generation is more open to this information and content and understanding a lot easier to assimilate as well with this, this new uh, old way of thinking. Even this new to us now, it's old, it's ancient. And I think that uh, those same younger generations are going to be the ones taking over positions in a lot of these companies and even in maybe potentially in the future in politics and pressing some buttons and making some moves and connections that normally would have never been made and slowly but surely helping us uh, overthrow this oligarchy that's running this planet and get us back into the golden age eventually. So I think that there's a chance, you know, I'm a lot more optimistic. I think there's a chance that, uh, things will be freed up. And if they aren't specifically freed up on these exact media networks, that there'll be new networks that will pop up. That'll be independent, properly owned networks, um, you know, like um, on Stellar. So I started something called United 99 a few years back to build a private uh, social media network, which then was uh, acquired by on Stellar and we transmitted everybody into there. And that's a private network. That's, uh, you know, no suppression, nothing, nobody can delete your content and so forth and so on. Right. And um, something else I'm seeing now is it's very odd. I'm, I'm not sure um, whether to trust oh, okay. it. Yeah, there you, go. there you go. You there, Billy? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you cut off for one second. Okay. No, um, another thing that I was saying that I, I'm not sure if I trust it. It's definitely interesting. And five years ago, I, I would have never thought I would have seen what's going on now with True. closure. Um, you know, it seems to have blown up this year with Navy sightings, um, Pentagon mm. releases, um, and now this storm area 51, but it all seems kind of suspicious and controlled. What are your thoughts on this uh, disclosure coming out? Yeah, the disclosure that's coming out by the mainstream is definitely 1000% controlled. They control every aspect of what the human being is allowed to hear as far as what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, and it's a drip by drip, slow, slow disclosure uh, to slowly acclimate people to uh, the true reality of what's been going on and what is going on, only because they're changing their modes. They're moving away from uh, fossil fuels and they're going to move into uh, different types of electricity generating uh, devices, whether it's perpetual motion, whether it's zero point energy, uh, you know, uh, electric motors and so forth. They want to profit on that stuff. So they have to create new industries for it, train people for it. And so they have to be able to slowly break us into that. There's going to be different technologies coming out. They finally figured out how they can monetize a lot of these technologies that have been suppressed, where before they thought that there'd be no money in it at all. Uh, and so they, since they've kind of um, run us down with the uh, petrol and the, uh, and the uh, uh, fossil fuels, they realize now that since even a lot of countries are going to be getting away from the petrodollar and so forth, they got to get out of that as fast as they possibly can and get into alternative you know, stuff. 
So little by little, we're going to see that coming out. Uh, Mars, there's five rovers headed to Mars by 2020. Uh, they're going to come with the science data on that, where they're going to be talking about uh, probably giving us the first alien life, I believe, is going to be announced within the next five years. And that's going to be bacteria. They're not going to tell us about the ancient civilizations that were up there or the people that are up there now in the breakaway civilization. But I believe they will tell us that they discovered bacteria. It's a very slow process, you know, um, little by little, drip by drip, they're giving it to us uh, over time uh, for their own, to control their own agenda, control the narrative, control the technologies that are being discovered and re, uh, redeveloped, uh, reverse engineered, uh, so that they can keep control, complete power and control over us. It's that same bloodline that's doing this. And you mentioned breakaway civilizations on Mars. Um, mm -hmm. How far do you think our secret space program goes? Do we have some of our own on Mars and, and on the moon? I believe so. I believe we have people on the moon and on Mars. I believe we have an exchange program going on with the lunar people. I believe that there's people living on the moon underneath the surface. And what leads me to believe this is through the Freedom of Information Act, we got the Apollo 11 black box tapes and the Apollo 11 black box redacted documents. If they sneezed, we have a copy of that and we have the audio of it. <clears throat> In the audio, <clears throat> excuse me, you hear Neil say, um, look at those convex domes down there, those convex uh, craters down there, which leads me to believe he's talking about a, a dome structure. He says, I bet the people in there never get out. This is what they're saying now as they're flying across the moon, looking for their landing location, their, their coordinates. <clears throat> um, so that's really an amazing statement to be there. And then if you look at uh, the Mars data from the uh, uh, Opportunity rover mission, there's this place on, on, uh, on Mars called McMurdo Valley. And at McMurdo Valley, there's a scene there which I, uh, I was able to basically uh, take a good copy of and show. And it actually made news. Uh, it's, uh, it looks like a military installment. You can see a swept wing plane flying over and I matched it to the shadow on the ground. You see what looks like a helicopter as well in the area and you can match it to the shadow on the ground. <clears throat> so meaning that they're in the air, they're not on the ground. Then you can see on the ground what looked to be a couple of tanks and a, tour, a, a gun turret. Uh, so it looks like a military installation right there on Mars. So I believe that we're already there uh, securing the area. Uh, I think that based off of some of the other content that we've looked at and other the, the data, <clears throat> it looks like there's been a war, ongoing war up there. And I really do believe, unfortunately, that the remnant of people that remained there, that were already you know, still living there or survivors of the last geological or war, um, whatever generation they are now, I believe that we're killing them. That's just my personal opinion. There's been so many um, weapons discovered there and a lot of these images that we've downloaded now, well, we being the United Family of Anomaly Hunters, We've discovered 58,000 anomalies, and the majority of them being on Mars. I'm sorry, hold on. <clears throat> so, um, we, uh, it looks like modern-day technology, modern-day warfare going on still right now. One of the scientists discovered that there's weapons-grade xenon in the soil and in the atmosphere, leading us to believe that there's uh, been some nuclear blast not too long ago. So... <laughs> Uh, there's something really strange going on. I really do believe that we've been uh, terraforming the planet and killing the remnants of people that remained uh, and to take it over and make it um, a fully functional, uh, commercialized, breakaway, breakaway planet. Wow, that is fascinating. And Billy, I want to thank you so much again for coming on. That was such fascinating information. In closing, um, what advice would you give people that are just now kind of waking up to things aren't right, um, mm -hmm. history's not what they've been told, and just kind of, you know, realizing everything that's going on around them is not what they've mm -hmm. been told. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. First, uh, the shock factor that you're going to feel in starting to find out that a lot of the stuff is you've been taught and, and, uh, and, and been told is incorrect, uh, and some of it is so way off, it's just straight out. Uh, demoralizing because you know we kind of feel like uh when you realize you've been lied to at that level and you believe that you feel like a fool so you're going to go through a few phases first you're going to feel a little a little foolish that you believed it even though it's not your fault that that's that this happened to you it's not just you but it's billions of people you have to understand that the next thing is that's going to happen is as you research deeper into a lot of the ancient text and correlate it with 
uh, global warming and things like that, what's really happening, these gravitational waves that are coming from this other sun, you're going to discover that uh, there's catastrophes and geological calamities like increased earthquakes, increased uh, hurricane strength, increased tornadoes, increased mudslides. A lot of geological activity is going to go on this planet that we're heading into now. We're just at the beginning stages. You're going to realize that there's going to be some cataclysms that are going to happen. That's going to put you into like a fear mode in a way initially, but you've got to overcome that and just, you know, at some point you will and just take it as it's a, it's a very strong possibility that these things are going to happen, but the, don't let the catastrophism uh, get you depressed. And then after you get over that level of thought pattern, you're going to get into a thought of what can I do to help? Hopefully that's, you know, your final thought. And the thing is just to continue to do intensive research and investigation into all these matters. Don't take my word for anything. Don't take anybody's word for anything. Do and dig and do your research for your own self to come up with your own conclusions. That's one of the most important things we can do. Because if you just listen to people like myself and others without doing any of your own research, it's the same thing as the equivalent of just going to church and listening to a pastor. No offense, but that's what a lot of people do. They don't go and do any study themselves, which is why most religious people don't know anything about the books that, they're, that they've based their eternity on. They're doing no research. They're just listening to somebody else. You got to go do your own research behind what I tell you, come up with your own conclusions, uh, and become a person that helps to spread truth, knowledge, and information around the planet to other people so that we can continuously create uh, ongoingly uh, an increasing amount of conscious individuals on this planet that are waking up to the true reality of, of what we're living in and what's been going on so that we can eventually overthrow this oligarchy. And what's going to happen is we're going to overthrow them, not with war. We're not going to go to war with these people. We're not going to fight them, and we're not going to picket and run down the streets, and we're not going to riot. What's going to happen when we get enough conscious souls on this planet? We're all going to do one simple thing. We're going to say no. No, we're not going to work. No, we're not paying our mortgage payments anymore. No, we're not going to uh, pay our taxes. No, we're not going to go to work on Monday morning. When 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 million people don't go to work on a Monday morning, watch what happens to the economy. When everybody goes to take their money out of the bank and stop participating in the, uh, the central banking system, watch what happens to the banking system. It's going to collapse in one day. So we have the power to collapse all these systems that are controlling us literally within one week by just saying no. But you need a lot of people that aren't afraid and a lot of people working on one accord. And uh, we got to all be on the same frequency. And when that happens, and it will happen, we will take back control of this planet. Very well said. Billy, thank you again for taking the time to do this. That was fantastic, and I'm definitely going to have to have you back on. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Right, you have a great night. You too, man.